Our sermon passage this morning is Matthew 7, verses 13 through 28. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So, Father, we pray now that by the power of the Spirit of God, you would speak to your people. Lord, remind us anew that hard messages are often for our good. Remind us anew that truth sometimes cuts. Remind us anew that you discipline those whom you love and for whom your son died. So Lord, this morning, Jesus has given us a hard word. And I pray out over this room that you would cause us to receive it to believe it, to be changed by it, to be transformed, and to be committed to Christ for his glory. And Lord, I ask for your supernatural help in speaking this message to this room. I pray you would give me boldness and power to glorify you. And I pray you would prevent me from error and being misleading. So help, I pray. For the good of your people, for the glory of your name, for the gospel to reign forward in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now friends, 
If you're our guest today, I want to own up to a couple things. One, I know that I don't have a bubbly personality, and short of a miracle that's not promised in Scripture, I don't think that's going to change. But today's message has a particular edge to it and a particular earnestness that Jesus gives that I feel I need to speak with the same edge and the same earnestness. So if you're our guest today, I don't think that every message here at Redeemer is going to cut as deeply as perhaps this one might, but the Lord has spoken and we need to believe. The Lord has spoken and we need to hear, and so we say what the scripture says, and we say so with hope. Here's the issue with blessing. When the Lord heaps his blessing upon us, the challenge is, will we delight in the blessing itself or in the giver of the blessing? The challenge of blessed times is, will we find our confidence in the goodness of the blessed time or will we find our confidence in the God who has brought us into the good time. So let's just say you go home today and you open your mailbox and the IRS has decided to give you a $10,000 tax refund that you didn't know was coming. Blessing, right? And all in favor? But the question at that moment for me is, will I find my hope and my satisfaction and my peace and my joy in the fact that my bank account just tripled? Or in the God who loves his people and lavishes blessing upon us? So here at Redeemer Church, we are going through a sermon series called the foundation. And I can tell you why we're doing this. Because our church is walking through a season of immense blessing. Our church is walking through a season of immense blessing. I want to enumerate a few of those for you. If you compare Redeemer Church to 24 months ago. We have a home for zero dollars. This building was given to us for free. There are twice as many people worshiping here on a Sunday morning as there were 24 months ago. We've outgrown our free building and gone to multiple services and multiple Sunday schools. We've baptized more of our children in the last 24 months than we did in the six years before that. People far from the Lord are hearing the gospel and believing and will soon be baptized and we will get to celebrate it. Our financial situation is stronger than it's ever been. And I'm here to tell you that we stand in a blessed place and we stand 
in a dangerous place? Will we find our comfort in God's blessing or will we find our comfort in the Lord? Will we place our hope in God who saves and redeems and restores and is with us or will we place our hope in our circumstances? That's a challenge that stands before us. So we're preaching this sermon series about the foundation who is Christ and the gospel and the word of God. We are preaching this series about the foundation because we want to be on the foundation. We want Christ to be exalted. We want Christ to be glorified. We want to have hope in Christ just as much as our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted, who are losing their lives, and who are suffering because they belong to Jesus, who have nothing because they belong to Jesus. So I have this earnest plea for me, and I'm probably the chief of sinners here. I'm preaching to myself. This earnest plea for our church to not be satisfied with stuff, but to be satisfied in Christ. Blessing is not bad. It's a gift. Fruit is not bad. We yearn for it. But the problem with blessing, the problem with fruit, is when it becomes our goal and our desire and our pleasure. So Lord, thank you for blessing. Lord, thank you for fruit. Lord, give us more blessing. Lord, give us more fruit. And Lord, let us not miss you in the midst of all of it. And I think I'm on good grounds to preach this message called Building on the Foundation because I am standing where Jesus stood. This passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29, is actually the end of what is known on the Sermon of the sermon, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody heard of the Sermon on the Mount? It, Jesus was on a mount of sorts, and he preached for a long time. And what he gave was what is the, the longest recorded ethic of what it means to live as part of the kingdom of God. This is Jesus saying, this is what it looks like to be my disciple. This is what it looks like to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And these are the last recorded words. Now, unless Ben reading a few minutes ago, unless you lost the edge of it, listen to it. The narrow gate is hard. Beware of false prophets. Judge a tree by its fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone will build their house upon the rock, which is me and my word. Like, do you see what's going on here? Jesus is laying down a gauntlet that doesn't fit with our modern understanding of the faith. Jesus is saying, following me is joyful, but it's difficult. Following me is joyful. But everyone who, who flocks around will not actually be a child of God. Jesus is basically saying we have to test our own motives and our own hearts and our own desires to figure out if we love the Lord and love His Word and love His ways and delight in Him or if we're just around because it's pleasant and pleasing and comfortable and easy. Jesus is laying down this ethic. Not me. Jesus is. 
And we would have expected, if we were writing Matthew, if we were giving the Sermon on the Mount, here in 2018, we would have expected, like, to end it with something uplifting. Something that would carry us through the week. Something that was like, win one for the Gipper. But Jesus ends it with a razor-sharp challenge. And I think it's really important that we hear the razor the razor sharp challenge because we desire as a church and I desire for you to be people who live upon the foundation that is Christ. And so over the past few weeks, we've said this foundation is for God's glory in Christ by the spirit for the kingdom. You can go back and listen to those sermons. But today's question is, how then do we build upon this foundation? And the answer is we build on the foundation by knowing Christ, hearing his word, and clinging to him. We build on the foundation by knowing Christ, by hearing his word, and by clinging to him. So we do not cling to status, we do not cling to religious performance, and we do not cling to the blessing. But we build on the foundation by knowing Christ, by hearing his word, and by clinging to so the key verse in all of this, I believe, is verse 24. So if you're one of those folks that marks in your Bible, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so my hope for myself, for my family, for you, your families, and for our church is that we would be a people who build our metaphorical house on the rock, who is Jesus. Okay. So, that's the point. If you're not into sermons, if you're not into me, you got it right there. We build on the foundation by knowing Christ, hearing his word, and clinging to him. So you can, you can be conversant over lunch or brunch about what you heard today right there. Now, my challenge is to show you that this is what Jesus is actually saying in this scripture. And so we're going to spend the next few minutes looking closely at the scripture to see what Jesus is saying. So the first point. Warning. Exclamation point implied. Warning. This passage is clearly a warning. Jesus is on the mount. Jesus is preaching on the mount. Jesus is speaking to a multitude, and he gives a series of warnings. Four of them, actually. And as we talked about a moment ago, this is, is a surprising and interesting end to this sermon. Hey guys, I've taught you. They've probably been going, mm, amen, brother. Preach it, preach it. That's right, yeah. You know, things you guys say all the time here at Redeemer. I know some of you are like, let me free. I'm like, you're free. <laughs> I prefer bring it, just for the record. There you go. There you go. Yeah. This recording is officially going on the internet now. And then Jesus looks at them, and he ends the sermon with these four 
warnings. They're warnings that, that, that need to be heard. And before we look at the four warnings, I think the reason these four warnings are here is because Jesus knew that there's always a tension between, and it's a fine line of tension, between loving Christ and loving the blessings of being around the people of Christ. There's a fine line between knowing Christ and enjoying the fruits of being around the things of Christ. I think Jesus knew this was a fine line, and he knew that over time we would see ins and outs and ups and downs of this. But I think the truths in this passage are why the church has always flourished as a persecuted minority and has always struggled as a celebrated majority. I think the truths of this passage are why the church has always flourished as a persecuted minority. Meaning, when you could lose your life this afternoon for being here this morning, only those who really believe would dare set foot in here this morning. When you could lose your job tomorrow morning because you were here today, only those who know Christ would set foot in here today. Right? The church has always flourished as a persecuted minority because the truths of these warnings were not as necessary. But as a celebrated majority, the church has always languished because there are many who love the tangible blessing of being around the Jesus people without knowing Jesus. And do you know who's at the forefront of this historically? The cultural Christian Bible belt of the year 2018. We live in a place where the church, for the most part, and this is waning, I believe, is a celebrated majority. And when the church is a celebrated majority, there's always the risk of being allured to the stuff around the edges and missing the Savior at the middle. So perhaps some of us are too close to that edge, and today I would want the Lord to call us back. Perhaps some of us feel like a persecuted minority and we just need to be encouraged in the faith today and perhaps some of us here today we really are dudes we're just always gone to church because that's what mama and daddy did we always hung out around christian people because it does well for your business you always kind of hung out around christian people because you know everybody wants to be moral and all that kind of stuff and we're just in it's just a place where it's good to identify with Jesus. But I would say it's only good to identify with Jesus if you really know Christ and he knows you and he's changed you and you've been saved and you've been converted and your heart is attuned to his ways and your spirit, his spirit rests upon you and these warnings are here for us today. So I want to shout, I'm, 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 I'm going to shout, don't be afraid of a warning. Warnings are for our good. Okay, if you were about to run out into Bonita Parkway and get hit by a car going 50 miles an hour and passing someone on a two-lane road to the right, which happens out there often, by the way, okay, if you were about to do that, you would want me to shout, stop! Warning is good. So let us not believe that all warning is always bad. And if you're newer here, I just feel the need to say one more thing. 
We here at Redeemer believe that those who know Christ, who have been saved by Him, in whom His Spirit dwells, will forever be His children. We don't believe that we go in and out of the faith. We don't believe that we go in and out of belonging to Christ. We don't believe that you, if you belong to Christ, you have to fear losing your salvation today. Okay? We don't believe that. And I don't think Jesus did. And I don't think that's why Jesus gave these warnings. Jesus gave these warnings so that those who were deceived would have their eyes open. Jesus gave these warnings so that his true children would not be discouraged by those who are deceived. So wherever you may be, let's look at the warning here. First warning, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, he gives us this parallel. My Bible says narrow gate and wide gate. The better way to understand it is probably a road or a path that one would, would traipse down. And what Jesus says is that life is filled with two roads. There is the wide road, which is easy, which comes with joy and pleasure and what you want. And there is a narrow gate. The narrow gate is challenging and it's often difficult and by definition, fewer people will choose the narrow gate, but the narrow gate leads to life. So what Jesus is saying is to follow after him is the narrow path. Not narrow in the sense that people are uninvited, and not narrow in the sense that he's trying to restrict people from coming down it, but narrow in the sense that to follow after Christ is to deny yourself. It is to say his way is better. It is to say his word is true. It is to say I am what he says I am and not what I choose to be. It is to say that he is right and I might be wrong, but his path leads to life. So Christians, Jesus is inviting us to join him on the narrow path understanding that the wide path will look more appealing, understanding that the wide path will be the one that it sells out quicker, understanding that the wide path will be more appealing to the eye, and we might at times be standing over here on the narrow path going, I wonder what it would be like to be over there. And Jesus is saying, just remember that the narrow path leads to me, the narrow path leads to life, and it is a good path. Walking with Jesus is not easy, but it is good. Walking with Jesus is not easy, but it is best. Walking with Jesus is not easy, but it is joyful. Second warning. So the first warning, and, and now, now remember, remember the context. The Sermon on the Mount to the on-looking eye, like if they would have had helicopters back then, or the Goodyear blimp, and it would have flown over and videotaped, you know, between commercials, like, like, the Sermon on the Mount would have visually looked like the wide road. Everybody was there. Everybody was listening. And Jesus says, remember that the path to life is the narrow one. Second warning comes in verses 15 through 20. And Jesus 
tells us to judge a tree by its fruit and not by its performance. Jesus tells us to judge a tree by its fruit and not by its performance. So, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I think it's fair to say that Jesus says we know that a tree is alive. How? Based on its fruits. So, Jesus says, look at a tree and see if it bears spiritual, Christ-exalting fruit. Fruit doesn't earn God's favor. Fruit doesn't earn salvation. But those who know Christ, we're told, bear much fruit. So a few weeks ago, we preached from Galatians 5, where we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things don't earn God's favor, but those who have Christ's Spirit will bear the fruit of the Spirit. So Jesus gives us a warning. Evaluate your soul by evaluating the fruit that you bear. So it's kind of like a reverse engineering, right? You walk up to a forest and a tree has brown, flaky leaves in the middle of July and there is no fruit, then you go from the fruit down to the roots and you say, this tree is dying, right? Jesus is saying we should evaluate ourselves in the same way. We should look at our words, our actions, our thoughts, our repentance or lack thereof. And we should say, based on the fruit that I see, is this fruit evidencing a root that's living and vibrant or a root that's dying or dead? Jesus says, evaluate yourself Based and evaluate others based on the fruit in their life and not their performance. What I find very interesting, and let me just say as a preacher, very, very scary, is the example of performance that Jesus gives here is a prophet. And at the time of Jesus, the prophets were those who spoke the word of God to the people of God. And Jesus says, don't take a prophet at his word, take a prophet at his fruit. A fruitful, faithful prophet will bear the fruit of the Spirit in his life, and it doesn't matter how good his words are or how appealing his words are. So what Jesus is saying is you can put on the best religious performance that you want to. You can stand up and you can preach sweet words and you can draw millions and you can be dead. We judge by the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and not by the performance for the the surface level attractional Jesus thing. So, second warning. Evaluate your life based upon its spiritual fruit. Third warning, this is verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, It doesn't really matter what we say with our lips, but what matters is, does Jesus know you, and do you know Jesus? This one's really important, so I'm actually going to read it. I'm going to reread these verses. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See what Jesus is saying right here? He's saying, don't come to me with what you've done for me. Don't come to me with what you said with your lips. Come to me as one who knows me and I know you and we walk in relationship with one another. Know is a word of intimacy. It's a word that moves beyond knowledge and moves into relationship. Adam knew Eve and gave birth to a son. Don't press it too far, but the idea is of relationship. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm not so interested in what you've said with your lips. I'm not so interested in how you've served the church. I'm not so interested in what you've given. I'm not so interested in how you have performed before others to look like you belong to me. What I'm interested in is do you know me? This is so important, so I want to give you an example. When my wife and I worked with college students, one of the things that was very grievous to us were the number of students who were going through hardship because they were the youngest child and they had left, they had left the nest empty at home and mom and dad had gotten a divorce. So what grieved my wife and I were the number of empty nest divorces that we were running Do you know why empty nest divorces are prevalent? Because the relationship has descended into what we do together and not into knowing one another. But didn't we make wonderful children? Yes, but I don't know you. Didn't we have a great bank account? Yes, but I don't feel like I know you anymore. Didn't we help our children crank out all these awesome extracurricular activities and get awesome ACT scores and get great college scholarships and we're not even having to pay for it? Isn't that awesome? Yes, but I don't even feel like I know you anymore. Now listen, I'm not trying to justify these empty nest divorces, but I'm trying to give you a very tangible reality of what it looks like to spend a lot of time around someone and have no relationship with someone. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm interested in knowing you and you knowing me. And the only way that happens is if we cling to him, we cling to his word, we spend time in his presence, we spend time speaking to him and allow him to speak with us. We praise him for what he's done. We don't become distracted by the blessings. We don't let our relationship with Christ become merely functional, but it's real. Jesus says, I'm interested in knowing you. Fourth warning. Jesus says there's really two foundations. And I'm just going to be honest, those of you that are time watchers, and you're like, dude, he's on the first point, and we are, we're almost out of time. But there's always next week. And the next, and the next after that. All that happens is Dan has to replan the worship service, but I mean, that's not that big of a deal, right? Jesus speaks of two foundations. 
one foundation he calls the rock. And the other foundation he calls the sand. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the one who doesn't will be like the fool who built his house on the sand. Now, what I find really interesting in this parable is Jesus assumes that storms come. He assumes that hardship comes. He assumes that your foundation will be tested, because it will. And he says, those who hear my word, believe my word, bear fruit through my word, those are the ones who are building their house on a foundation of rock that will endure hardship and temptation and destruction. And those who don't, who choose the wider, the easier path, they are the ones who have built a foundation on sand and their whole thing will be destroyed. You know how um, sometimes you enjoy watching TV shows and other times your kids enjoy watching TV shows and so they're just kind of on in the background? At least that's how it works in my house. Don't judge me. We watch TV. Um, so the other night, my kids were watching the show Survivor. You're, you're on an island. You're cast away for some number of days. And you lie to people and vote people off and try to win a million dollars. It's like hedonism at its finest. But you get there. You have nothing. And these guys, they all built these... Um, like huts to live in for however many days. They're, you know, and so they're like splitting trees and tying leaves together with rope. And they're having these competitions to get blankets to put over their huts. And, and, and this one tribe was feeling really confident about their, they had a good dwelling on their sand beach. And the other tribe had a so-so dwelling on their sand beach. And everybody was sleeping through the night. But in the middle of this fake reality game, a real hurricane blew up. And so they had to evacuate them. And when they brought them back, you know what they all found on their sand beaches? Nothing. Nothing. And they were all so dejected because they had worked so hard splitting wood with machetes and tying grape leaves together and leaning things together to make where they didn't have to sleep on the ground. And a hurricane had just blown it all away just like that. And so what Jesus is saying here is, if you cling to me, you're on a rock that will endure the worst hurricane that the world can ever offer you. You're on a rock that will endure the worst destruction that Satan could ever offer you. But if you're not clinging to me, if you're not clinging to my word, if you're not clinging to my gospel Your foundation, no matter how strong it feels, no matter how many zeros are after the numbers in your bank account, no matter how many kids you have, no matter how well they're doing in life, no matter how many promotions you've received this week, no matter how many all-star teams your kid made, no matter how many awards they got at school, no matter how good you feel about your marriage, no matter how good you feel about your self-worth, if it's not rooted in Christ, it will will be destroyed and you will have a sand beach and tears. But what Jesus offers is a better way. What Jesus offers is a better way and it's Him. It's His Word. It's His Gospel. 
I came, I lived, I died, I rose again. I invite you to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And if you follow me, we'll enjoy the narrow way. If you follow me, we'll bear much fruit. If you follow me, we will know one another in a way that yields life. And if you follow me, your life will be upon a foundation that will stand forever. So, in closing, what does that have to do with what I talked about at the beginning? First of all, where is your foundation? Upon what are you hoping and upon whom or to whom are you clinging? If you're not clinging to Christ, you're clinging to yourself or you're clinging to another human, and that's a bad place to be. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, I'll give you rest, I'll give you life, I'll give you strength, I'll give you endurance, I'll give you a foundation. And you know what else? I think every word of this applies to Redeemer Church as well. Where is our foundation? May it forever be in Christ, in his gospel, in his word, and in his everlasting blessing that endures anything that this world might throw our way. So next week we'll talk about some practical ways to do that, okay? I know all good sermons are supposed to have something you can take away, so take this away. What is God saying to me right now? What's he saying? from this. Warnings are good for everybody. They're good for the holy and the unholy. They're good for the struggling and the thriving. They're good for the weak and the strong. So what is the Lord saying through his word to me right now? Worship team, you guys go ahead and come up. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy to us. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you've spoken your word. Now, Lord, over this people today, my plea is that you would cause us to know you and to love you and to be with you and to be transformed by you and to delight in you and to hope in you and to trust in nothing else. This is our prayer. So, Lord, We can't do this. We need your help. So would you work this in our midst? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this time, we at Redeemer Church each week take the Lord's Supper. And what the Lord's Supper is, is a meal which Jesus gave to his disciples as a way to call us back to all I have is Christ. As a way to call us back to my only foundation is in Jesus. And so we take this bread and we take this cup as a way to say Jesus is everything and Jesus is what I need. And so here at Redeemer, we invite everyone who is a child of God, who has professed faith in Christ and made this profession of faith public. We invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today and you're not sure that you're a a child of God, you're not sure that you're a Christian, you're not sure that, that you belong to Jesus, we would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass, because here's the thing, there's nothing magical about this bread, there's nothing magical about this cup. This is for those of us who identify with Christ to say, Jesus is everything.
But today, friend, we are glad you're here. And today, while this bread and this cup is being passed, I would ask you to, to reflect on this. What is my foundation? Am I willing to consider Christ? And if you're willing to consider Christ, would you come and talk to me about that today? I would love to talk with you about your consideration of Jesus and his truth and his word and his ways. So at this time, we're going to sing. These guys are going to pass the bread and the cup, and I'll come back in just a few minutes, and we'll take them together.